Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm coming to you, hello everybody, I'm coming to you live and direct from Australia's Gold Coast because mama's in Brisbane. Well, I'm not in Brisbane, I'm in the Gold Coast. So hi everyone, I've zipped over here to do some filming, as you do, and so that's where I'm going to be for the foreseeable. Uh, it's so sunny here, I all I can say to you is, you forget, I had my iPad out and I thought, oh, the screen must be on really dark mode because I'm so used to England um, and it wasn't it was just it's so sunny you can't really see the screen I'm just so used to living in the darkness that is England which I love by the way no shade to to the homeland but yeah so I'm slathering on the factor 50 and I'm getting out there um, it is transgender awareness week this week and given what's going along in on in the world listen it's a very very important time to be talking about it we are thrilled to be joined by Skylar Baylor, aka Pink Manta Ray on Instagram, who I started following years ago because he became famous online when he set up an Instagram to sort of document his transition in his early 20s. And he does these sort of info slides, which have been enormously helpful, I've found, for many years. And he's just really interesting. And he's written a book um, called He, She, They... Um, he was the first openly transgender athlete to compete in any sport in America's top national division when he swam for Harvard, having transitioned from competitive female to competitive men's swimming. And today he speaks all over the world for trans inclusion. He was named by BuzzFeed as one of 11 transgender people who are shifting our views. And I couldn't agree more. He's, he's just amazing. He talks brilliantly about the kind of intersectionality of being half Korean, growing up in America, being trans. And so... I was very excited when he released his book, He, She, They, it's called. And the book is brilliant. You've all got to read it. And also for more content to celebrate Trans Awareness Week, tune into our Transparenting Day episode or our episode last week with the brilliant Jonathan Van Ness. Get in touch if you like this episode. It's hello at homosapienspodcast.com, at homosapiens on Instagram. Now listen, something to say about ad-free listening. If you want to have these these shows without the ads, i.e. me prattling on, then please go inside your Apple Podcasts app, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go to our Homo Sapiens homepage and the option to subscribe to Homo Sapiens Plus da, 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 for $1.49 a month is there. There's also a seven-day free trial available, so you can try it before you buy. So why not give it a go, hey? 
A few listener emails after our episode with Matt Rogers, we asked listeners, what does your algorithm say about you? PMC Ginger says, mine has a lot of bears, games and comics. PMC Ginger, I'm here for your algorithm. Kasim said, thank God my horniness doesn't make me do that click anymore. Kasim. Sarah said, I love my algorithm. I see loads of things I love and I'm interested on here every day. That said, I too make that click, i.e. someone you fancy, and then have to go back and unfollow a while later while I reevaluate my reasons for doing so. I mean, amen, Sarah. Let's go and have a chat with Skylar, uh, and then there'll be a part two on the feed, because that's how it goes. Here you go. You opened the book talking about competing at swimming for the first time as a man. You know, you were always a man, but as in, in the classification of a, in a competitive sense as a man. Sure. For me, what is beautiful about it is it's not just about the classification and all of that. It's a culmination of a journey for you in its entirety, right? Yeah, I felt misaligned for most of my childhood. And I think it's interesting because I very much had a clear view of who I was when I was a kid. I just didn't have the words to be able to describe it. And so I I, I accumulated a lot of shame about my identity because I thought I just wanted to be a boy, but I wasn't. And if somebody had given me the language to say, no, 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 you actually are a boy and you can just say that. Mm. That would have been you know, hugely helpful to me, but I didn't have that. And so I spent 18, 19 years of my life thinking there was something wrong with me, thinking I was never going to fit in, thinking I just didn't get the world the way other people got the world. you know. And so when I found this identity, the word, I mean, not myself, because I think I had myself, I just needed the, the explanations, right? And there was this, there's this potential for alignment, this potential to put down this conflict that I'd had with myself and the world for so long. And so standing at that pool that first day was this this overwhelm of i'm just i'm just here and i'm just me and i'm going to do this thing that i've done since i was 10 months old and i'm going to dive into this pool and i'm going to swim these strokes and i'm going to be just me and that little kid that didn't didn't know more than just swimming and just himself gets to be just that now as a 19 year old and i think that was you know everything i had been looking for for so many years of my life But I'm wondering, as I've devoured your content over all these years, and the positivity in it, the simplicity of the way you get things across, and the open-hearted kindness in ways in which you deliver your information, where does that come from? Mm. Tell me about your childhood. What compost made made (laughs) this man? (laughs) I I think that privilege is actually a really big part of why I feel that I can have the space to have some of these conversations, especially the ones that are more difficult or more conflict-ridden or more attacking of me, right? And I'll name some of the privileges. One, I I have a therapist. I I actually later today will go see my therapist on on Zoom. You know, I had the privilege of going to a a residential treatment center when I was really struggling and with mental health. I had an eating disorder. I was was suicidal. I was depressed. I was using self-harm behaviors. I was really miserable. And a lot of people don't get help when they're in those positions. They don't have the money to. They don't have the healthcare to. They don't have supportive people around them to get them there. So I had that. That saved my life. I wouldn't be here without that. 
not. So those are two massive privileges, both rooted in therapy, right? Um, mm-hmm. Another privilege is the privilege of education. I've had a really great education from when I was a little kid. I have two parents that are also very well educated. So that education started way before I was born. I think those things allow me the ability to articulate myself. I've always been talkative. So, you know, who's to say, you know, nature versus nurture completely, right? But there's a lot of nurture that allowed me to be able to speak my mind and be understood. Mm -hmm. And I've thought a lot about that privilege because I've met a lot of people that want to communicate the way that I have. And they told me that in many different ways and, you know, in really intimate conversations with good friends where they're like, I wish I could talk like you and I wish I could be understood like you. And it's really forced me to reflect on how confident I feel when I educate, right? I have a confidence when I communicate with people that they'll understand. And that also causes me to continue to do it, right? It's like a positive reinforcement cycle. Um, Mm -hmm. So that, that's a huge privilege. The fact that I feel confident that I'll be understood in a moment as a queer, transgender, mixed race, Korean American athlete, right? And man, (laughs) that's pretty huge, right? Um, And I carry that with me. So when you ask me, you know, how am I kind? How am I calm? How am I able to have these conversations? I think about all those privileges that allowed me to, to come into this space. You're not wrong about any of those things. And Lady Phil, who runs UK Black Pride over here in the UK, who's an Mm -hmm. amazing person, she said this thing about like, I don't care about privilege, like how privileged you are. All you have to understand is that wherever you are, you need to bring other people up, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, And that always really stuck with me. And I suppose... I'm wondering that about you, because there's plenty of really well-educated people out there. We have someone in this country called Lawrence Fox, who is a right-wing, everything, everything, <laughs> divisive, will just say anything to piss people off. He's a, very <laughs> he's a very well-educated boy with uh, access to whatever he wants. Sure. For whatever reason, he's chosen to create hate. Right. I'm wondering who was teaching you, or where were you seeing and repeating Or what got you to the point where it's like, I need to take my experience and use it to help others. Mm. My my parents are both very involved in in philanthropic efforts. And I think we're very adamant that I learned about different ways that people live their lives and different ways people suffer in their lives in the world. They took us, me and my brother, traveling a lot when we were kids. And, and you know, obviously we had the, the privilege to be able to travel. So that's a huge part of this. But we traveled to a lot of places most people didn't travel to. A lot of very mm. rural places in other countries, Northeast India, many places in Latin America that most people don't go. And and we saw lots of different ways people live their lives. And we, we I think that was a big just expansive view of the world as opposed to a kid. Most of my peers, you know, I went to a a private school from kindergarten through 12th grade, a very, very good school. And most of my peers did not do that, right? On on breaks, they were not seeing how the world lived. They were seeing how they lived. And so I think Mm -hmm. I had a very different exposure, you know, to the world. Um, Again, still a very privileged one, but a very different one from the other, my peers. Mm -hmm. I think that was a, a big part of me seeing how there was, you know, what I had wasn't what everybody else had. And I think that was very important for me to understand. And I understood that very young. Uh, but I also think you know, that, that that's a part of it. My parents are very involved in, in I think, social justice just as a, as a mindset in many ways. But I also think I was always the odd one out of being a little bit more than that. I think because I just, I don't know, I, I cared a lot about about 
other suffering. I was obsessed with climate change when I was a kid and I, I'm still very wow. you know interested in it. But you know, for example, in fourth grade, when we had a had Halloween costumes that we had to dress up in, I dressed up as a National Geographic magazine that was about global warming. <laughs> Every recess and lunch, I was digging through the trash can, pulling out all the recyclings that people had thrown into the trash oh. can instead of the recycling. This is this is how I was. And I think it's because I just I cared a lot about animals. I was like, I panicked anytime I left a light on because I was like, oh my God, the polar bears are dying because I left the light on, you know? So I think yeah. I also had a little bit of like an over-responsibility complex <laughs> because I was a little bit too stressed about things as a kid. But, and then I think that, you know, the experience that directly relates to now is I was bullied a lot. You know, I, I looked different from other kids. I acted different from other kids and you could pick any one of my identities, right? I was never girl enough. So people would bully me for being too boyish, but then I wasn't a real boy. So I was bullied for not being a real boy. Then I was, you know, too nerdy. So that was weird. Then I was too much of an athlete. So that was weird. And it wasn't like the cool mm -hmm. athlete. It was swimming. Um, it was just never mm -hmm. enough of anything. Korean American, that's even a younger identity. I was never really Asian, but I was also never really white. So I think, mm -hmm. you know, I never quite fit in. And so I knew what it was like to not fit in. Um, and I also had a very large breadth of experiences of not fitting in while also being accepted because of the successes that I'd had, right? So because I was academically successful, even though I was considered a nerd, people wanted my help in school. Even though I was weird at the swimming pool, other athletes knew I was fast. And so they respected me. Um, yeah. And we could, we could add these to many different identities. So I think I, I learned a lot about what it felt to be othered. And I found a lot of power actually in feeling othered because I learned that it didn't matter that other people didn't think that I belonged. I knew that I did. And I wanted, I think that that's always carried me to, to want to bring that to other people. 
barrier essentially at the time. Honestly, it was, you know, it was painful, but the the physical experience of breaking my back wasn't as um impactful to me as the the repercussions of not being able to swim. Mm. I had really organized my entire life around swimming. I ate because, you know, I needed to eat for swimming. I needed to sleep so I could swim. I needed to do my homework so I could swim. I needed to, you know, socialize so that I could so everything was built around swimming. And a lot of that was because I was so miserable, you know, and I wouldn't mm-hmm. admit to myself how miserable I was but I was Mm. deeply miserable. I was deeply disconnected to myself. I was trying really hard to be this woman everybody expected me to be, but I felt so lost. Mm. And I I didn't even really have the words to say that I felt lost. I wouldn't have sat down and been like, yes, I feel lost. I would have just been like, I'm doing, I'm doing school and I'm doing swimming and I'm, I'm doing great, you know? Mm. Um, Mm. But I was miserable. And when I broke my back, I was, I was, a, it was a biking accident. I fractured three vertebrae and I couldn't swim. And suddenly my whole life just felt like it came crashing down. I, I didn't want to eat. I didn't want to sleep. I didn't want to socialize. I, I didn't want to do anything because nothing felt like it had a purpose anymore because I wasn't swimming. And I, I began suffering from, that's when my mental health really plummeted. I would argue that it had not been great beforehand, but it, you know, it really took a, a notable turn downwards at that point. Hmm. Well, there was nowhere to hide maybe. Yeah, nowhere to hide. And I had been drowning everything in swimming. You know, when I was swimming, mm. I could I could focus it in swimming. I could direct the energy in swimming. And without swimming, there was there was no place for any of that energy to go. And I had to actually begin to introspect about myself. And I didn't have the tools to do that. I didn't have the space. Yeah. I didn't have the capacity. And so I just I just began using really maladaptive coping mechanisms in mental health, right? So eating disorder, self-harm, and so on. So it was a really hard time. It was a really, really difficult time for me. Probably the worst months of my life were following my my back break, especially when I couldn't, I just couldn't do any kind of exercise. I guess, you know, as it pertains to swimming, I think, you know, I tried really hard to to work on my mental health to come back to swimming. And I actually ended up being faster than I'd ever swum before when I came back that fall. We went wow. to nationals. I performed quite well that, that winter and I got recruited to uh, you know all the schools I was looking to get recruited for. So luckily it didn't have this impact on or negative impact on my success in swimming and in, in academics. But I mm. think that was I I never really recovered uh, until I went to treatment, until I went to residential treatment for my eating disorder. Um, I didn't ever really recover from that. I I kind of went in and out. I would, I would, I would come back to the pool and I'd swim really well for a couple months and then I'd fall apart for a couple months and then I'd come back and I'd swim really well and then I'd fall apart. So this kind of this like cycle of holding myself together as best I could sort of white knuckling it through the pain and the difficulty and then falling apart because I couldn't do it anymore. And then, you know, kind of Mm. cycling through this until I went to treatment. Do you remember the first conversations and how you felt about transition with your family? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things I talk about when I talk about my parents is that they've always provided me with love and, and I've never felt unloved by them. And I, the reason I say that one person might be like, well, of course, duh, they're your parents. There's a lot of queer kids, a lot of trans kids that, that could not say the same. Um, unfortunately we have a very, mm, 50 50 shot or even lower right percentage chance of, of parents being accepting of, of trans and queer kids so a lot of people don't have that experience i never doubted my parents love and that's a huge a privilege that i that i have held and my parents have struggled to understand so the first mm. early conversations with my parents were i think i want to say almost nonchalant at least on their end i think sharing my transness was something that they were less concerned with at the time and more concerned with like how 
happy I was. I was in treatment in that eating disorder center. And so saying that I was transgender kind of was like, okay, Skylar, what's next? You know, because in treatment, there's a lot of revolutionary, like literally like going over revolutions of figuring out stuff about oneself, right? If we're doing mm -hmm. therapy right, there's no right way to do it. But if it's really sort of, I'm really like investigating myself, I'm going to have new revelations about myself, right? Yeah. And when I was like, okay, I'm trans, I think they were like, okay, will this one stick? You know, because I think we're throwing a lot yeah. of things at the wall and seeing, you know, what's going to stay. You know, the, in the book, we I also write what you should do when somebody comes out to you. And, and one of the things that I recommend mm. is give that person the, the space, right? In that moment, understand that they're giving you an intimate truth and you need to treat it, revere it as such. Mm -hmm. And when somebody gives you a truth, you don't you don't shake them and be like, what am I going to do with this truth? You say, <laughs> oh my God, thank you for giving me this truth, right? You say, yes. thank you so much that you trusted me. Like I'm honored that you trusted me with this. I'm here, right? And yeah. you know, I think that more people need to understand that about anything intimate. I actually have mm -hmm. to work on understanding that when somebody's being vulnerable with me, I should be able to be like, gosh, thank you for sharing this with me, right? Mm -hmm. I think as a human population, generally society, I think we have, have what is the right word? I'm just, I only can think of curse words. We've, we've, we've shit on vulnerability, right? We've like, we've just yeah. said, you know what, if you're vulnerable with me, I don't like it. I'm going to throw it away. Mm -hmm. um, and we need to be better at recognizing when people are being vulnerable with us so that we can slow down in that moment and be present with them. And yes. I don't say that from a place of expertise. I, I think sometimes I do it well, but sometimes I don't. And it's something that me and my wife work on, for example, of me being able to be like, okay, gosh, I need to pause in this moment because you're saying yes. something vulnerable. Um, but we, we, our life is so fast paced that we don't, we don't slow down to be like, ah, somebody's sharing something touching. Yes. And, and we, I think people also deal with it like it's contagious. They sort of look at you like, you know, people find it really hard. And I, you know, I know that when my dad died like five years ago, I found it really hard to just bring it up with friends yeah. because yeah. they didn't know what to do. Yeah. And, and I think it's really interesting because when you're saying that, I suppose the lesson is you don't really need to know what to do. You just need to support. And I think you just need to be present. Yeah, you just need to be present. And we I think that's something we also don't know how to do. We're losing as a society's presence. And part of that is the digital age. I'm going to sound like a grandpa, but everybody's on their phone. They're not present. They're thinking about five bajillion other things in a moment. Yeah. And I think the access, the accessibility of so much information, so much update, right? So much influx of, of just updates. It, it, it yeah. causes us not to be present in moments. It's something that I'm working on because I'm constantly also doing that. I'm on emails, I'm on texts, I'm, you know, making this TikTok or that real and I'm not present. So I, I think, mm. especially with, with grief, which is, you know, very present in a lot of different revelations. Grief is, is central. You just mentioned about your dad dying. Um, I've had a couple of friends that have lost people recently, a friend that lost her dad as well. And she spoke to me about that as well, about how other people, it was really difficult to talk about it because nobody wanted to talk about it, but they wanted to talk mm. about it. And it was this like, how do I talk about it? And, and it's like, like, fuck it. My dad died. Like, I want to talk about the yeah. fact that he's not here anymore. Um, but yes. people want to dance around these topics, you know, I hope it's okay to curse. So, Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, the things that get said on this podcast, <laughs> once you've been through that with someone that they are... Once you've been through someone dying, you realize how much of a well-kept secret it is. It is not talked about and no one, and, and therefore nobody, why would anyone have the tools?
my experience with death is probably the biggest experience is my grandparents. My grandparents died a couple of years ago for them. I guess it's about four years ago. And, and I, I found about, I, I thought a lot about grief at that time. And one of the things mm-hmm. I think I thought, I thought when I was a kid, oh, somebody dies and you know, you're going to be sad and then you get over it eventually and you move on because that's, that's kind of what the world seems to, to teach us. And I don't know if the grief of of losing anybody ever goes away. And I, I used to think that was bad. I'd be like, oh, grief never goes away. That's sad, right? You have to get rid of it. Mm. And there's a great quote that I love that, that says, grief is love with no place to go. And if grief oh. is love with no place to go, then grief is also love. And, and I think mm. that's so beautiful. Yes, absolutely. Hello, end of part one with Skylar. Part two's on the feed. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Powered by Spirit Studios.